Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis. Hello. Hi. And Talk Sports football correspondent and transfer guru, it's Alex Crook. You're right. Hello. All 10 games will be looked at over the course of the next little while. A busy week to look forward to as well. As Kane chops down the tricky trees, Leicester fail again despite Barnes flying Conair. Bruno knocks out Saints and Erling Haaland sculpts a comeback worthy of Norse mythology. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Everyone okay? Everyone having a, a good weekend, a busy weekend? Where were you at the weekend, Crookie? Uh, I was at Arsenal, actually. Uh, really good London derby, great atmosphere, slightly controversial winner, but uh, Arsenal continuing their 100% start to the season. Anything so I can go and see his best mate, Aaron Ramsdale. Um, Darren, what were you doing this week? Uh, I was watching West Ham in preparation for going to see them play Spurs on Wednesday night. And um, yeah, they got the job done, even though uh, they were dominated for large parts of it by Aston Villa, but they got the job done. Good win for David Moyes and the players. Okay, um, so this is a really weird week in the fact that we've just had 10 great games. We've got 10 more uh, to come. Crystal Palace, Brentford, 7.30 on Tuesday night. Fulham at the same time. Uh, Chelsea goes to Southampton, 7.45 on Tuesday and Leeds take on Everton at 8 o'clock. Wednesday night, four, four, five more games for you. Arsenal against Aston Villa. Uh, Bournemouth against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Manchester City are at home to Nottingham Forest. West Ham play Tottenham, as Darren just mentioned. And Liverpool take on Newcastle. Now on Thursday night, it's Leicester City against Manchester United. So we'll try and combine looking forward to a bit of that, plus looking back at what we've already seen. So we might as well get started. The electricity at Old Trafford was generated from the crowd and it powered a famous victory thereafter. But are they about to revert to the old system or forge ahead with a well-oiled counter-attacking machine? Fernandez on the volley, edge of the box, rifles it home. And Manchester United score the opener. Absolutely wonderful stuff. Liverpool 9, Bournemouth 0. And that means they have equaled the level with Manchester United's record, which United got against Ipswich in March 1995. Haaland in the penalty area for his hat-trick. And it's a first Premier League hat-trick for Erling Haaland. Testing times for Brendan Rodgers and his side. It's finished at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea 2, 
Leicester won. Surely Arsenal have stolen the win right at the end of the game. And wouldn't you just know it, Gabriel from villain to surely match-winning hero. And it fell to San Maximum, that man, the man in form. Sublime striker, sublime leveller. And it is Wolves 1, Newcastle 1. Aston Villa nil, West Ham United 1. The players are literally being booed down the tunnel. It's not a happy place, Villa Park. A brace for Harry Kane, who also missed a penalty. And he moves level with Andy Cole on 187 Premier League goals. This is the back page of the MEN on Sunday. Harlan's hat-trick seals City comeback. Bruno scores the winner for resurgent Reds. The headline's a little bit more creative than that. But you get the picture. Manchester is happy after the weekend. And happy because, I mean, they saw a thrilling game uh, at the Etihad Stadium, despite Crystal Palace taking a two-goal lead. This is a problem, isn't it now, Darren? I mean, Manchester City can even give you a two-goal lead and still win. Yeah, I mean, you see where the money goes when Haaland arrives and did, does what he did on Saturday. He's just an exceptional world-class striker and he's showing that already. Um, they just have the firepower to blow you away. They scored nearly 100 goals last season. You bring this guy in with his goal record and he is going to shred you. Um I think he doesn't have that many touches on the board. Eight in the first half, eight in the second half, scored with a three in the second half. But that's all he needs because he gets into such good positions. He's got such a good understanding already with his teammates. And I can see this guy, honestly, I I was joking. I did uh, Sky Sports at the weekend and I was joking about the fact that for reasons best known to myself, I took him out of my team. Um, and I can't believe I did that. No, you because idiot. You idiot. I, well, well, that's Why what my kids said to me, to be fair. Um but I think as far as, you know, on a serious note, we could be seeing one of the great talents in world fo football already at his young age in the Premier League. And that is wonderful for this country, wonderful for the competition. Yeah, something that I said when they signed him, you know, the fact is he's got a player in the peak of his powers coming to play in the Premier League. And that's a major, major uh, feather in the cap for the league itself, but also for Manchester City. And But there was something a little bit more nuanced to the way this game turned on its head, wasn't there, Crook? The fact that at half-time or shortly afterwards, Pep Guardiola changed the system, went to three at the back, played uh, Phil Foden as one wing-back, Bernardo Silva as another wing-back, and ultimately put Alvarez up alongside Haaland. And it looks like maybe he likes playing with another striker. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they adopt that approach uh, moving forward. I think we spoke in the preview podcast and I did say that Manchester City at the moment do look defensively vulnerable. They've conceded quite a few goals by their standards already this season. So when they come up against a higher calibre of opposition, that could be an issue. But all the time they've got Haaland, it's almost that Newcastle policy from uh, the mid-1990s. They can just outscore the opposition. I thought, I think it was his hat-trick goal when he just sort of out-muscled and bruised aside, brushed aside two Crystal Palace defenders then still had the composure to pick out the bottom corner. That was that was just a classic uh, Haaland goal. He might get 35 goals in the Premier League this season. Well, it certainly could be on to break the record at the rate he's going at the moment. 32 is the, the record, isn't it? Mo Salah for a 38-game uh, season. Um, but are you worried or should Pep should Pep be concerned? about the possibility of, uh, or just be concerned about the fact that they're conceding so many goals? No, I don't think so. I think because they're shooting their way out of trouble. 
Well, I don't think... I, listen, you can look at it two ways. Obviously, the best defence tends to win the Premier League um, because that's what any yeah. uh, trophy winning side is able to do. But I think this is a very unique City side because of the talent that they have. I also think that I would prefer, if I were a City fan, to look at the glass half full. Generally, if you look at the last five years, in the first few games of the season, City have always dropped points. Look back over this. It might be the first game, the second at Leicester Spurs last season in the very first game. I think they've dropped points in the within the first three or four games with over the past four seasons, five seasons, they've taken nine, sorry, 10 points from 12. They're undefeated so far this season. There are areas clearly, as you say, to fix like that defense and they'll find a formula, but on the way to doing so, they are still managing to win games, smash teams and take points. Darren is a very positive guy, as we know. He always looks for the best of things. Well, this is the time for lovemaking. And um, Alex, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're obviously the complete opposite to that. The arch cynic, the one who always looks for a, a big headline. So are you worried that they can't sustain this habit of conceding goals and then outscoring the opponents for the rest of the season? I think it will be a problem uh, when it comes to coming up against their title rivals and probably will be a problem in the latter stages of the Champions League. But there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge between now and then. I'm sure that Pep Guardiola yeah. uh, will find a solution. They can time things up between now and then, surely. Sorry, can I just say on the back of what you just said, Crook, that if you look at the, the title rivals, as you say, tell me which one of them are secure at the back. Liverpool don't look particularly secure. I know they beat uh, Bournemouth 9-0 at the weekend, but as far as uh, Bournemouth are concerned, okay, we all know already they're not good enough for the Premier League. But if you look at the other sides that they've played, they've looked vulnerable against Palace, they've looked vulnerable against Fulham. There's still one or two tweaks they need to perform. They clearly need more protection in front of the back four. Arsenal, yes, they won at the weekend, but they had to fight for the points. Chelsea don't look secure as yet. Hold on, hold, 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 hold on, Darren. You said title contenders. What are you doing? <laughs> Straying beyond the territory. Well, fair enough. Title fair enough. Tottenham look fairly you're solid. You're moving into a completely different episode. Top six, I think, is what Crook meant. Um, (laughs) But the point remains, you know, that yes, City are not quite there yet, but nor are any of the other teams in the Premier League. City will only get better. It's for those teams to step up a level to match them for consistency. I thought Crystal Palace uh, actually have started the season really well, despite the fact that they have um, lost this game. They lost against Arsenal. But, you know, if you think that they've taken four points from four games that probably feels as if they've been shortchanged a little bit if you've watched some of their performances. But bearing in mind, they've been to Manchester City, they've been to Liverpool, they've played Arsenal at home. That's more than an acceptable points uh, title uh, tally from a tough start to the season, Crook. Yeah, it is. Um, I think it could be an interesting last few days of the window for Palace because I think they're still trying to get players in. I know they're very keen on Conor Gallagher if uh, Chelsea let him go. And actually, after his first two performances, maybe he's not done himself... Uh, too many favours with that poor game he had against Leeds and then being sent off at the weekend. Wilf Zaha, this is a story that I covered. Second in, one wasn't a full performance. I covered in my transfer notebook at the start of August that Chelsea were paying attention, shall we say, to his contract situation. Uh, now it's being reported that he is a, a genuine contender uh, for a move to Stamford Bridge. Should they not get Aubameyang? It would be interesting. I still think it would take a big money bid to get Zaha out of Crystal Palace, but I, I just don't think they can afford to lose him. I know he wasn't there at the weekend. They still scored twice, but he is their talisman. 
I think it's really important they keep him uh, at least in, until the end of his contract. Manchester City take on Nottingham Forest 7.30 on Wednesday night. I mean, probably not going to have too many problems with that particular home game. Um, you wouldn't expect. Um, whereas Crystal Palace take on Brentford. Both those games between those two last year were nil-nil. Uh, Brentford's last win at Palace was in Division 3 South in 1957. Um, so the omens aren't good for a Brentford victory. But Crystal Palace, I think, have played relatively well, as I said before. I think the only problem that they've got is, is that if they do lose Zaha, their potency going forward certainly diminishes in incredibly because he is a major, major asset to them. And the fact that he wasn't involved in this game, as Crook says, I, sort I, of I, sends I, up a bit of a red flare. I slightly disagree with you both in so much as they took in, a 2-0 lead. Sense? They took a 2-0 lead without Zaha in the team. They didn't lose mm. because of what, they didn't have up front. They lost because they switched off defensively. Had they not done that, and had they, they been up against like Manchester City, Darren? Well, indeed, but Manchester City's firepower basically undid them. I think if they were playing a lesser side, they might have been able to give them more of a game. May have come away with a point. I think there's this whole. Oh my goodness! If Zaha, if Palace don't have Zaha, they're going to fall apart. Thing is a bit overplayed. You know, they do have other players. Maybe not as um, uh, free scoring as Zaha has been for them over the years, but they look more of a team yesterday without having to rely on one man. And I, I, I kind of, I, I don't really buy into this whole idea that if Zaha is not available, that's it. They're done. They may as well surrender the points. But he's their main source of goals at this present moment in time. I think he's on a, on a fantastic goal scoring run. Isn't he like 11 in 20 or something like that? He's a, he's, he's, he's the, he is their main source of goals at the moment. So losing him obviously would mean a, a readjustment, especially since as Patrick has already said, actually, I don't think I've got a great squad anyway. I've got, I've got a good squad, but I need to add to it. But Sam, I, I know we've got to move on. So I'll just make this my last point. Let's say Zaha played yesterday and he scored one of the two goals, right? but they still lost because City had too much firepower. The point is that it's what they don't have at the back rather than what they do have up front that undid Palace. And my point is that he's brought in Edouard, Odson Edouard. He wants to bring back uh, 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 Gallagher. He has Alise. AU is still made. AU is not for me, but I know that a lot of players, a lot of people at Palace kind of rate him. And they do look more of a team without Zaha in it. And I just don't see it to be the end of the world if he were to go. He's a fine player. He's a wonderful player. And he does deserve a move to a top club because he should be, you know, playing his trade in the Champions League or at a higher level. Uh, but I just, I think Vieira's done a terrific job. And to give City such a fright without Zaha in the team tells you about how he's trying to build an outfit that is not reliant on one man. Thanks for making that short and sharp. Um, uh, Southampton against Manchester United. Finished Southampton nil, Manchester United won. Bruno Fernandes with the only goal of the game. Uh, Manchester United end a run of seven straight Premier League away defeats to secure all three points. And it was a hard fought three points as well away at Southampton. Not a classic performance, but certainly a much needed win, Crook. Yeah, it was. And it, it was important to follow up what happened on Monday night with a victory. It was never going to be the same performance level because I think emotionally and physically that Liverpool game would have taken a lot out of the players. He named the same side. 
which I think made a lot of sense given how well they performed. So to get over the line um, in the second half, I think is an important statement. Win a clean sheet. I thought Martinez, despite what our own Gabby Agbonlahor was saying on the phone in on Saturday night, was excellent again. I thought Malasia played well. Ericsson kept things ticking over. Great goal from Fernandez. Brilliant movement from Rashford to open up the space and a really good finish. And back-to-back victories hasn't happened uh, too often for Manchester United. But for me, uh, the highlight of the game was your pronunciation of uh, Southampton's German defender because it was a saucy performance, wasn't it, from uh, Bella Ketchup? Oh, once. Twice. Twice. Once. Once. I called him Bella Ketchup. (laughs) So what? So I made a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes, Crook, by the way. Is Frankie, de Jong, is Frankie de Jong still coming to Manchester United? There's still four or five days left in the window. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, the, uh, the the MEN on Sunday gave the players marks out of 10. Uh, the back battalion, Dallo, Varane, Martinez and Malassia all got sevens, eights. Uh, Malassia got a six, actually, because he gave the ball away once during the uh, first half in a dangerous position, but a relatively steady start from him. But the front battalion... Got absolutely savage. Six six five five five. Um, Jaden Sancho relocated to the left hand side and dawdled on the ball too often when he needed to be direct. Marcus Rashford started through the middle and demonstrated why he's better on the left. Um, Bruno Fernandes sloppy, reckless, selfish, and a hindrance until he broke the deadlock with a fabulous volley to salvage his performance. Um, so I don't think the, the the guys who were working on the MEN yesterday were particularly impressed. <laughs> <laughs> you know the interesting thing about that is that listen United do deserve credit for grinding out another win and it doesn't have to be pretty it just has to be uh, three points as far as they're concerned as they gradually try to get their confidence back but let's not pretend that Southampton would have scored a couple of goals at least had they been able to finish their build-up play was decent, but they were extremely naive in the final third, at times unlucky in the final third. So I can't really go along with this loving about sevens and eights for the Manchester United back line. There's still uncertainty there, um, despite their best efforts. And I don't want to criticise them because at least they put in a shift. But had they played a better side yesterday... I don't think they'd have come away with all three points. I think there is some way to go in terms of where they want to be. I'll be honest with you. I was at the game and I was disappointed with the quality of the match. I thought Mm. both sides really lacked quality, quality on the ball, both sets of players that the tactics were very basic. Manchester United was try and hit the ball long in the first half. At times they were just smashing it over the halfway line and hoping that it bounced to someone who's got a bit of pace so they could run in behind the Southampton defence. And Southampton's tactic is pretty rudimentary as well. It's get those wing backs high and outside and try and get the ball wide. And then when they get advanced up inside opposition territory, nudge it back to James Ward-Prowse for a bit of quality delivery. The problem is, is that you can put as many quality deliveries in the box as you want, but they haven't really got the finishers to to convert them. And look, they did have a couple of big chances. Shea Adams had a couple of good chances. I mean, David De Gea has made a really good save from Joe Aribo. Bella Ketchup just couldn't squeeze a decent finish out of the bottle right at the really? very end. But ultimately, this, this, this was a game that could have gone Either way, really. And Manchester United, I think, would just be delighted. And Eric Ten Hag was delighted after the game just to get it done, dusted. He said to me in the tunnel, look, Manchester United have not won away from home for a very long time. 
it was just about putting the result on the board. And actually, we asked him, I was saying, how big a job is this? And he just went, it's massive. It's a massive job. We're only at the very beginning of what is going to be a very long process. And the fact that he's quite clear in communicating that probably should fill Manchester United fans with a little bit of um, comfort, I think, is what has been a very sticky start to the season. Maybe it'll just smooth out. It'd be interesting to see what happens this week. They've got Leicester on Thursday night, Arsenal on Sunday. Then we might get a greater measure as to where they are. Let's turn our attention to Liverpool. Um, Darren, despite all the injuries and the ailments and the problems that they've had and the lack of transfers, they now need a midfielder. Klopp's admitted that all the journalists were right and he was wrong. They need a midfielder as well. They produced a stunning display against haphazard, hapless Bournemouth to win nine N I N E <laughs> nine nil at home uh, against the Cherries. The Cherries absolutely crushed and crook Scott Parker crushed to the point where he might be thinking about chucking the towel in. Is that a possibility? I don't know. Um, I, I, I would think not. It's very rare for a manager to walk away from a lucrative contract, but I do think we're seeing a, a divide now between Scott Parker and the Bournemouth board. It reared its head during pre-season when he bemoaned the lack of transfer activity, even though uh, the club at that stage were working pretty hard uh, to bring in a couple of targets. They did that with uh, Senesi, the defender from Argentina, and Neto, the goalkeeper. They're still, I believe, uh, working on more new signings and clearly Bournemouth need them. But his body language, his demeanour in the press conference did lead to journalists who were present texting me on Saturday night and saying, we think he might walk away. I just don't know if his tone... Um, is helpful at this moment in time. Nobody wants to lose 9-0. I thought it was a bit patronising of Jurgen Klopp, the little hug on the touchline before the game had even finished. But he came out and said that Bournemouth aren't equipped to compete at this level. Well, they look fairly equipped when they beat Aston Villa on the opening day of the season. There's no disgrace in losing 4-0 at Manchester City or 3-0 at home to Arsenal. Okay, conceding 9 at Liverpool is probably um, over-egging the pudding somewhat. But... They were three really difficult games at the start of the season. They've got Wolves at home in midweek, as you mentioned. I think that will be a, a bigger barometer of where Bournemouth are. But who's he talking about in that starting eleven, not being equipped for the Premier League? Will, will there be players in that dressing room now asking questions of each other? Well, who does he think isn't good enough for this level? I just think that's completely the wrong time for a manager, even after such a crushing defeat. Well, Darren, he's got a point though, hasn't he? Because 21 shots from the opening four games of the season is the lowest total by any team in the last decade from the opening four games. Um, they're obviously not equipped for the Premier League, but whose fault is it? Um, well, you trust players who've got you into the Premier League to be able to live with the step-up in quality. And if some of them can't cope with it, then you have to be honest Do about you? that. Who does that? What's that? Who does that? Who who, who, do, who, do, who trusts players that got them into the Premier League? That well, doesn't really happen very often, does it? I mean, mostly you get a huge well, amount Howe of did. investment. Eddie Howe did. Eddie I was just about to say that. The back four that got him into the Premier League for a couple of seasons. But it's it's a rare thing for, for people to do to get promoted into the Premier League and keep the same team that was in the Championship. Most people invest. In fact, although Eddie did keep the, the back four that uh, got him into the uh, top flight, if I remember rightly, he also added to that squad quite considerably, but didn't use those players or use those players, then reverted back to those talents over the course of his time in the Premier League. I so think- it's, it's not a very often... A, a common thing just to use the same team that got the, I think it was the, the lowest, one of the lowest pods totals in five years to get promoted as well. And listen, I think you make fair points, but yeah, I but think it was there back has been, there, there was that loyalty from Eddie. Sheffield United, 
Sheffield United as well. Uh, Chris Wilder kept faith with a lot of players that had got them into the Premier League. Norwich to their peril. Uh, Daniel Farke stuck by a lot of the players that got them up. You go back. They as all far went as down, Ipswich. Darren. Well, they may well have done, but you ask the question: Who does? And that's my point. A lot of managers do, and the problem is that history has shown that maybe that isn't the right thing to do, and maybe. When you get into the Premier League, you do need to do. People laugh at Forest, but they're investing in quality because they know that's what keeps you in the Premier League. And if Bournemouth believe that they can do it on the cheap, then there'll be more results like there was at the weekend. So, Crook, are we now back to uh, Scott Parker not being your mate anymore because you, you were very close to him towards the end of last season coming into the Premier League? No. He was your best bud. You were addressing the same and stuff. And now, you know, he's, 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 he's now not your buddy. No, no, I'm not saying that. I just think at times he can be a little bit over-emotional um, in the way that he speaks, which is great for us because he'll always give us a line in the media. Um, but I, I think there's times when he could be a bit more of a politician, maybe straight back a few answers away. As I say, I just don't think it's great for morale when your manager comes out after you've lost 9-0, you're feeling pretty low in the dressing room anyway, and you're told you're not fit for purpose wow. in the Premier League. Wow, poacher term gamekeeper, uh, PR officer for Bournemouth, Alex Crook. Um, Darren, uh, let's, let, let's turn your uh, guns on Liverpool. You, I mean, you, you're pretty pro-Liverpool being a, a die-in-the-wall copite. Um, Liverpool equaled the Premier League record as they thrashed Bournemouth 9-0. 19 shots, 12 on target. Pretty spectacular response to a defeat at Old Trafford. Yeah, really good performances too from Van Dijk and Trent Alexander-Arnold, both of whom took a lot of stick in the week after the uh, United defeat and even after the Fulham defeat. Um, And the fact was that the entire team had underperformed, had started very slowly. And the way of football is that people get way too carried away far too quickly when you consider the consistency that Liverpool have shown over the past three years or so. He's talking um, about you, Crook, by the way. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm really not Crook, honestly. He's just <laughs> yes, trying to pitch us. He's definitely talking about channel. you. <laughs> but I think as far as Liverpool are I'm concerned... I'm not buying into it. it what, what we saw on, at the weekend didn't surprise me. <laughs> It didn't surprise me. They are You're not buying into Liverpool. Uh, I'm not buying into the idea that uh, listen, it won't surprise you that I'm not buying into the idea that Liverpool were nowhere near as bad as people were saying. They simply had a lot of injuries, and it is the case, even despite this win, that they need another midfielder. I think Thiago's injury record, he's injured now. He's always been injured, um, sadly. And it might well be the case that, yes, you you get some player when he's fit. <laughs> what? Sorry. Oh, sorry. I got distracted by the noise. For a second, I, I thought somebody had left sorry, their TV saying. on. Um, I think, <laughs> I think as far as he's concerned, you do get some player when he's fit, but I think they just need another body in there. To be honest with you, that midfield, I think it maybe needs a bit of shaking up anyway. The talents of Carvalho and Elliot, they're fabulous and they're going to be big stars for the club. But I just think it needs a real presence in that midfield. So a player with a good injury record, um, somebody's going to drive them on this season and maybe have a few people worried about their places. Um, I was actually blown away by the XG in this game. I couldn't believe it. It was, um, it was, 
3.92 to 0.41 or something like that. But 3.92 was the XG and they scored nine goals. And then when you watch the shots that they did score from, you understand why. Because this wasn't just nine really well-constructed goals that came as tap-ins. There were some absolute thunderbolts during the course of this encounter. Trent Alexander-Arnold's goal is absolutely magnificent. Luis Diaz's header probably shouldn't end up in the back of the net because he should be defended, but also it's a difficult header to execute. I just think absolutely terrific performance in front of goal from Liverpool. They really took most of their chances. I mentioned it earlier. They had 19 shots, 12 of them on target, nine of them went in. That's pretty spectacular. But also, I suppose it helps Jurgen Klopp that it was Bournemouth that they were facing in the aftermath of that Manchester United defeat, which was a a bad defeat. It was a bad defeat because it does hurt morale when you lose to Manchester United Crook, but also it hurts when you, you start the season expecting to be title contenders and everyone's telling you, well, no one wins the league if you don't win any of the first three games. Well, you certainly told them that. But uh, yeah, Bournemouth were on a hiding to nothing, weren't they really, coming up against a, a wounded Liverpool? <laughs> but you mentioned the quality of the goals. That The player I felt sorry for most was Mark Travers uh, because normally when a goalkeeper gets beaten nine times in a game, you can probably point the finger for at least a couple. I, I don't think he could have done much to stop any of the Liverpool goals. If you can compare it to Craig Forrest, he was the first Premier League goalkeeper to concede nine. He had a bit of a shocker that day when Andy Cole scored five at Old Trafford. Travers didn't. And uh, that tells you how clinical Liverpool were. Who was the second goalkeeper to concede nine goals? Do you remember? Was it um, Brian Gunn's son? <laughs> no, straight away, you knew who it was because you've been giving him absolute pelters ever since um uh, <laughs> liverpool take on newcastle on wednesday night at eight o'clock um and we'll keep you in touch with that on kickoff on talk sport bournemouth's next assignment is a home game against wolverhampton wanderers and as crook said look you know maybe they'll find out a little bit more about themselves uh when it comes to that game we might find out a little bit more about scott parker as well right let's move on to the capital it's been a very successful weekend for the top three teams in that particular city If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. 
There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Give me 100, need you 100. Martinelli is there with a header on target and Arsenal score the first goal of the Premier League season. Arteta, 100%. He has just made me fall in love with Arsenal again. Bournemouth nil, Arsenal 3. It's a first ever Gunners goal for William Saliba. And we now have a defender who could go off his feet from an Arsenal point of view and make perfectly timed tackles. Saliba there was quite magnificent. Edu and Arteta have got together and they, 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 they clearly got a strategy and I love it. It is different how much we want it, how hungry we are, how humble we are. Arsenal 2, Fulham 1, surely Arsenal have stolen the win right at the end of the game. And big teams have to know how to win in last minutes and, and turn games around and we've done it today. Need you 100, need you 100%. Arsenal lead the Premier League by two points thanks to a spectacular display from Martin Erdegaard. And a last-ditch goal from Gabriel. 2-1 the final score against Fulham, who gave them a bit of a run for their money. They got caught out of the back for the first goal. Gabriel, bullied by Mitrovic, was dawdling on the ball. Bad bit of control. Mitrovic scored. That put Fulham 1-0 up after 56 minutes. It was quite a tight encounter up until that point, although Arsenal dominated it, to be honest. Erdegaard very quickly up the other end to equalise just uh, eight minutes later. And then Gabriel goes from zero to hero. But... Should that goal have counted? Because by the letter of the law, I'm not entirely sure that it should have done, Crook. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Although Alexander Mitrovic on television apologising for berating the referee because he admitted that he got it wrong and actually it was a fair goal. But there was certainly contact um, with the hand. So I, I'm slightly surprised the goal was allowed to stand. I thought it was poor goalkeeping from Bernd Leno. He had a great night to that point. He made a number of good saves, but he just got himself stuck under a crowd in the penalty area. That was actually the first decent dead ball delivery that Arsenal put in pretty much, uh, that their corners and free kicks have been quite wasteful to that point. But yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that even speaking to Marco Silva afterwards, he, he, he didn't appreciate the performance of Jared Gillett, but not because of that incident. He just felt that maybe the referee from Australia favoured Arsenal over Fulham on lots of the smaller decisions, but they, they didn't overly protest against the goal being given. The cross is fumbled. It comes off Gabriel's elbow, which is below the T-shirt line before it he puts it in. The IFAB law states it is an offensive player scores in an opponent's goal directly from their hand stroke arm, even if accidental, including by the goalkeeper, immediately after the ball has touched their hand or arm, even if accidental. I mean, literally, that is a textbook goal that should have been chalked off, isn't it, Darren? Yeah. In a word, um, I agree with you. The interpretation of these laws, honestly, I mean, who is the guy who handled it, pretty much juggled it in the box? It was in the Arsenal game. Um, uh, no, it was Scott McTominay. Scott McTominay down at Southampton. I I don't think that was... It was just a little bit of uh, Scottish volleyball, wasn't it, between him (laughs) and uh, Shea Adams? Honestly, I mean, to me... That's a penalty. That's okay. You can but, do that. But, just like push it to each other and just juggle around with it. It's fine. It's no but problem. The, you know, but what happens is you get referees popping up in the Sunday papers saying, no, it's got to be this and it's got to be that. And they can always find mitigating circumstances to back up 
a decision that the rest of us look at and think, goodness me, if you can get away with a decision like that, then what's the point? And I think you make a very fair and valid point um, about uh, the situation that you were talking about a second ago. That said, I was kind of delighted that Arsenal did win the game because I actually quite like watching them. They're a very entertaining team. It's not like me to, to say that about Arsenal, but like, I, I really enjoy watching their football and the passion that they show. I've even, even fallen a little bit back from Mikel Arteta again after watching All or Nothing. I, I, I don't know why, but it's just something about them and him and the collective and the way they play their football. They are an entertaining bunch. I don't actually think they're as good as being two points clear at the top of the table. It's very early in the season and they've played literally no one so far. So, I mean, trying to assess their performances when they've beaten Fulham and Bournemouth and a very bad Leicester City and on opening night, Crystal Palace, a game that could have gone either way, actually, if you watched it in full. You know, there's still a lot to come from them and there's greater tests down the line. But they've got a great chance to amass a decent decent points total before they start running into the big boys in October, Crook. Yeah, they've got Aston Villa at home in midweek. We'll, we'll talk about Steven Gerrard, I'm sure, but I think that should be another guaranteed victory. Then they go to Manchester United, um, a ground where they don't historically do very well. So I think that will be a test. But it's interesting you mentioned that togetherness. I spoke to Mikel Arteta after the game because you had Zinchenko joining in the celebrations. The atmosphere uh, was as good as I can remember it at the Emirates Stadium. And he talked to me about uh, COVID, actually. And he said it was really difficult. He described it as a cold time because without the crowds, you've got no injection of energy. He said the game was about passion and emotion. That's the reason we're all in the game. And he said without the spirit, the mentality and the togetherness, it's difficult to build something. And he feels they are building something. And I said it in my full-time report early in the season, as you say, but I sense they are building something special. Are they going to win the league? No, of course they're not. But are they going to be genuine top four contenders? I think they are. Uh, the win over Fulham was the first time the Gunners have won a Premier League game after conceding the first goal in the second half of a match since December 2013. And when I first read that stat, I thought, what a pointless statistic that is. And then I thought about it a little bit deeper and I thought, well, hold on a second. What we're saying here is, is that even late in a game when they've conceded a goal, for the first time in nearly 10 years, they've come back to win it. That shows that there is a different spirit, a different resoluteness, a resilience about this group that they didn't have before. And if you are going to be a top six, top four contender, Darren, you have to have that. Well, this is why they were celebrating so widely at the weekend. And, you know, I, I personally don't buy into this idea that they've beaten nothing um, because Fulham took a point off Liverpool. Um, so, you know, they're hardly nothing. And I think yeah, but Darren, last Liverpool season, had injuries, Darren. Well, that they did have injuries, but the fact is that you would normally expect a team with Liverpool's capabilities to be able to see off a Fulham, particularly at Anfield, and they were not able to do it. And the context for Arsenal, and this is quite key, was that last season they lost against teams just like this. They lost against Brentford at home. Mm. Uh, sorry, away from home. They lost against... They lost against Palace. Uh, Palace away they lost. They drew at home to Palace. They drew at, uh, against Brighton. They lost against Brighton, and they lost against Southampton. So I don't buy this idea. But that you're, you're, you're picking. Uh, you're picking holes in my argument. I mean, ultimately, I'm saying they haven't beaten Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea. Yeah, but they're not anywhere the results that zone. That are gonna yeah. 
they're not necessarily the results that are going to help them to get to where they want to go. Uh, the fact was their whole top four challenge was undermined precisely because they couldn't beat teams like Fulham last season. And now they're beating teams like Fulham this season. They're beating uh, Bournemouth this season comprehensively. And what they're showing is that not only do they have the quality, but they've got the character that they're going to need in what is going to be a race for the top four of fine margins. That's why I think that they are showing real progress and you only have to look at the travails of the All or Nothing documentary to know what they went through this season to get to where they are now. Um, Harry Kane scored twice and had a penalty saved as well as Tottenham won 2-0 away at Nottingham Forest. I wasn't convinced this was going to be a game full of goals uh, because really Nottingham Forest don't concede that many and, and Spurs have sort of turned into a team that sort of grind things out. But ultimately, this could have been a game full of goals because there was loads of great chances in the match, Crookie. Yeah, there were. It was uh, it was a really open game. Forrest had some good chances uh, of their own uh, soon after the, the penalty had been saved by Dean Henderson. Nico Williams uh, may be unlucky not to get them back on level terms. Once again, I think is an example of Tottenham winning without playing particularly well. And actually, if you take away the, the game when they swatted Southampton aside at the start of the season, they've not really produced... Uh, any impressive performance since then. They were lucky to get a point against Chelsea. They limped over the line uh, against Wolves because the visitors missed a lot of chances. But this is the new steely Tottenham that Antonio Conte has created. And uh, if you can win games playing badly early in the season, then that's a, a good sign for the rest of the campaign when you do gel. I thought the reaction of Son uh, to his substitution was quite interesting. I think he knows that he's not playing well. He knows he's got genuine competition now uh, in Richarlison who came on and made the goal. And I think Richarlison could count himself unlucky if he doesn't start Tottenham's game in midweek and Son finds himself on the bench. Interesting, isn't it, Darren? Competition sometimes works in two ways. Sometimes it can push you to become a better version of yourself. And sometimes it can leave you with anxiety and fear. And as a result of that, you're thinking about things a little bit more deliberately and therefore not doing the instincting things that got you the headlines in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to be fair, Conti was very def uh, defensive of Son, at least publicly anyway. He was saying, you know, if I had a daughter, I'd want her to marry somebody like Son. Uh, at the moment, he's suffering because um, he he's not scoring, uh, but he'll get through it. And he rates him as a player. But I remember when Conti took over and I, on this podcast, I was saying he'll challenge them on the pitch. He'll challenge them upstairs as well, which is exactly what he's done. And he's challenging the, the, the players who believe that they were guaranteed a place in the team. Because now that Richarlison's come along, he came on today, he set up a goal for Son. Um, he's seeing that there are other players who can be effective as well. I'm not necessarily sure that I condone Richarlison juggling the ball and um, taking the mickey out of the Forest players. And I can understand why um, they responded the way that they did. But that's a different story. I think we're seeing now the shake-up that Tottenham need in the established order on the pitch. Come on. You're telling me you don't like a little bit of showmanship in the Premier League, Crookie? <laughs> I loved it when uh, Nanny did it against Arsenal. Do you remember that when he was juggling the ball almost on his shoulder blades? And uh, that's was that twenty five well. years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was when United were good. Yeah, listen, I, I get Darren's point. Um, I'm not sure even Antonio Conte would have been too pleased uh, about that. But that's for Charleston. He's a maverick, so sometimes you have to you have to compensate for that. 
Uh, the last time that Spurs went to uh, the city ground was 1999. It was a good year for Great uh, year. Crookie. Great year. Great year, for, great year for Martin McCutcheon, who was number one at the time with Perfect Moment. Good song, actually. Um, I, I like that song. I knew you were going to say that. Very it really song. wasn't a good song. <laughs> it was a very good song. My word. It's not. It really isn't. Do you want me to it, sing it? And I don't you? think anybody watching this. No, I, I really don't. And nor this does anybody watching or listening to the podcast. Oh, dear. Right. Okay. Uh, we've just lost about 50. That wasn't me, by the way. Um, <laughs> Chelsea two, Leicester City one. Chelsea lost a player in the first half, but it didn't really affect them, which is ridiculous, really. Um, I, again, I looked at the XG and Leicester won the XG. I looked at the number of shots on goal and Leicester won that. I looked at the number of shots on target and Leicester won that. Leicester should have had a goal. Harvey Barnes, I thought, was probably wrongly denied a goal. I know that Mendy was probably a little bit, but it was soft. I thought the, the foul was soft. They hit the bar, they hit the post. They looked lively. Jamie Vardy missed a number of chances. Chelsea were very lucky to come away with, with three points. Thomas Tuchel sitting in the stand because he was banned, biting his fingernails, hiding his head, his head in the snood because he was worried about what could happen in the last five minutes of the game. But actually, you know, to be fair to them, that's good character to come back from a deficit like they suffered away at Leeds United and then play most of the game with 10 men. It's an impressive performance to, to eke out a 2-1 win, Darren. Very impressive performance. And look, it's going to be a long season. I don't want to get too carried away, but you have to say that the manner of it in the circumstances, um, they deserve a lot of credit. Um it could be easy to be churlish about the weaknesses in the performance, but I'd like to maybe point to the character that they've shown and the commitment to getting the three points. Super Raheem Sterling scoring his first two Chelsea goals and boy, um, did he enjoy it. I mean, it took a little deflection, the first one. The second one was a simple tapping, but he has to be in the right place at the right time to finish that off. And Reese James with a terrific ball across the face of goal. You have to say that he, he seemed to sort of really embrace his role at Chelsea because everybody knows he is the main man, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and actually the first goal he scored, yeah, it did take a deflection, but it was almost identical position to the one that he missed, curled just wide against Leeds the previous week. Mm. So I think we're going to see a lot of that from uh, Raheem Sterling coming in from the left-hand side and, and trying to get his shot away. Uh, I think he is embracing being the main man, as you say, much like Gabriel Jesus uh, is at Arsenal. Uh, I was pleased for Rhys James as well, uh, mainly because he was the one player who did something in my fantasy team this week, apart from Haaland. But I guess from a Leicester perspective, when you lux out, you lux out. You, you've read the stats. If they uh, took part in a raffle and were the only entrant, they probably would find a way not to win the, the, the top prize because it's just not happening for them at the moment, is it? And I, I do feel a bit of sympathy for Brendan Rodgers. I hope that he's going to be given some of the Wesley Fafana money to reinvest. I'm not convinced he's going to get much of it, though. That is a worry, isn't it? Uh, what what next for Leicester, do you think, Darren? I mean, Tielemans obviously linked with a move away as well. Fafana pretty much already gone now. Um, without a win in the first four Premier League games for the first time in 19 years. It's not a great situation. How much of it can you lay at Brendan's door and how much of it is the responsibility of the people above him? Uh, I, I don't think either. I think it's more the responsibility of the players who are basically trying to force a, a move away from the club, don't want to commit themselves to the club. So I think it's going to go one of two ways. I think either they have players lined up, they will get the Fafana deal done, they'll get a, 
decision one way or another over Tielemans before Thursday. They will ship them out and they will bring in the players to replace them and have a good season. Or if they sell those players and don't replace them, they will have a terrible season. And I think they might even be fighting against relegation. Now, that's quite a big thing to say. Wow. Because obviously there are very good players there and they have a good manager, but their defensive record, if you go back the last, what, 26, 27 games, they've conceded probably in all but one or two. Um, And they are just a side bereft of confidence at the moment. And sometimes a big club does get sucked into the relegation mire. So I I don't think there could be any room whatsoever for complacency. And, you know, even if somebody were to hear me say this and say, oh my goodness, that's a big shout. Really? Is it? Is it? Yeah, I think it's an absolutely massive shout. And the reason I think it's a massive shout is because I think they've got enough goals. And if you've got goals, generally, that is a, that no, is a route Sam, to success Sam, Sam, over the course of the that's, that's a myth. That, that's a, you cannot stay in the Premier League if you can't defend. You can't. If you look at the records of the play, of the clubs that have gone down, they have well, almost I, I, I all don't know, had defensive records. Yeah, listen... They had a bad defensive record, Man United, but the three teams that went down went uh, had a considerably worse defensive record, and that's the point about Leicester. They are slipping up against the, they're losing against the big teams, they're slipping up against the small ones, so, and I just don't think they they've got any room to be complacent just because they're a big club with good players. Because we've seen big clubs with. I don't good think they're complacent. I don't. I don't before. think they'll be complacent. I just think it's a big shout to suggest that a team that is managed by. Brendan Rodgers has Jamie Vardy as their central striker, as James Madison in their ranks, has got someone like Johnny Evans as one of their central defenders and their fullbacks, James Justin Castagna. I think they've got enough quality in that group. Eventually, they will turn. It's a bad start to the season. It hasn't worked out particularly well, but I do, you know, I'm, I'm being honest, I don't think they'll be involved in a relegation battle. Crook, do you think they'll be involved in a relegation battle? I think the big issue they've got is is, is apart from Bournemouth, I, th- <laughs> I think it could be a very competitive league. And you're going to see teams that you wouldn't normally expect to be down there, down there, and maybe teams like Fulham and Brentford, who at the start of the summer, you might have thought, well, they, they'll be in trouble. They might find themselves a lot higher up the table than you think. And if that is the case, some of the established order could be sucked in. I'd include Everton in that. I know, again, you disagree with me on that, Sam, but I think they're facing a difficult season. Uh, Leicester have lost Kasper Schmeichel, huge character. Can't rely on Johnny Evans to stay fit. Not sure that Jamie Vardy is going to be as productive in front of goal. He's in the veteran stage of his career now. Where is Tillemans' head at if he stays? Where is Madison's head at having courted interest this summer? I, I'm inclined to agree with Darren more than I agree with you on this one. I think it's going to be a tough season for Leicester. I don't think Everton uh, will uh, be pulling up any trees, but I just don't think they'll go down either. I think they'll they'll, they'll find a way through. But, you know, it is going to be a competitive season because a lot of teams have Sam, managed to... what Crook said. Crook did not say I they would go opinion? down. But he didn't say that they would go down. No, he, like me, said that they'll be in the relegation. You're not the conversation. Picture, but you're saying, I don't think they'll go down. You're not listening to the conversation. You're not. You're not listening to the conversation. He said... I know you disagree with me, Sam. And I'm saying, no, I don't disagree with you. I'm saying that I think they might have a bad season, but I just don't think they'll go down. That's what he said. And I am answering that point. I'm not, not, you're not listening to what we're saying. I'm suggesting that I think they'll be okay. 
they'll be okay. I think they'll be I, I think it'll be a bad season. I, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna get into the European places. I think they'll be in a situation where they end up fighting maybe relegation, but end up not going down. The difference is, as you said, you think that Leicester will fight relegation. I think by the time we get to Christmas, they'll probably be mid-table. I think I well look, I did not hear Crook say Everton will go down. I heard Crook say they could be sucked into the relegation picture. And he was saying that to say, to on the back of saying that Leicester could because of the way that this season pans out, the congested fixture list, you barely get time to recover or to be able to work on the problems that you have in your team because it's going to be a, an unusual season. And he was saying he felt that they could be dragged into it. I'm not putting words into your mouth, Crook, but that's what I heard. I didn't hear Crook say Everton will go down. And so you say, and I, I was answering his point because he said you disagree. He, 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 he's saying to me, you, you, I know you disagree with me because we've had the previous conversation. I don't think that they'll be uh, in the championship come this time next year. Different debate. Anyway, we should move on to Brentford Everton, to Aston Villa West Ham, to Brighton Leeds and to Wolves Newcastle before we get involved in another huge debate that goes on forever, even though Darren said, I'm just going to make a short point. Well, I might have started with Everton, actually, but I think probably more pressing is the need of Aston Villa to sort out their issues because Villa were booed off after their defeat at home to West Ham, who came into the game without any points or any goals. They got their first goal of the season through Pablo Fornals, and that was enough to win them the match. Crook, you were commentating on this for TalkSport International and uh, I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time with David Connolly straight after the game. I know he was co-commentating for you. And he said, look, Aston Villa are in, are in real bother because Steven Gerrard doesn't seem to know who his front three should be, what his best system is, and who should be playing in it. The fact is, and I was reading the statistics before the game, is that, and it served as a warning to me, that they run less than anybody else in the Premier League. And that, is a real, real worry. That's warning signs for me. Doesn't know what his best 11 is, doesn't know how he wants his team to play. The, the word that kept coming out in the phone-in that we had on the boot room after that game uh, was identity. You know, a Villa pressing team, are they a counter-attacking team, are they a possession-based team? Nobody knows. And uh, I think Steven Gerrard is floundering a bit, to be honest. I think that was highlighted on the opening day of the season when he picked a needless fight with Tyrone Mings. He's now lost 15 of his 31 Premier League games. I think that's a worse record uh, points per game than Dean Smith had when he was relieved of his duties. And I think it will get worse before it gets better for Aston Villa. The next two games are away at Arsenal in midweek and then against Manchester City. Uh, so six games in, they will be looking probably at having won uh, only one of their six matches. And I think Christian Perslow and the Aston Villa board might have a decision to make. I think Steven Gerrard has found the step up from Scottish football to the Premier League very difficult. And I think he misses Mick Bill as his right-hand man. Well, the rot certainly set in before Mick Bill left. They've managed to win just three of their last 15 games, Darren. Has um, Steven Gerrard got a man management problem? Because that was a report I think that I saw in your paper not so long ago about the way he was demanding highly of his uh, players, quite stern, almost a little bit detached from them. What do you understand to be the problem? Well, I think he may well have made a rod for his own back with the treatment of Tyrone Mings, who's hugely popular in the dressing room and outside the dressing room as well. And although 
it, that may well have played well with some of the old guard um, and uh, some of the ex-pros. I think as far as the current contingent is concerned, there is a lot of support for Tyrone Mings, who's a very popular guy, not just in his club, but outside of his club as well. And so that may well have backfired somewhat. I mean, look, when you look at the performances of Did he Gerard make a mistake King, doing that, Darren? Do you think he made a mistake doing him yes, doing I that? Do. Because ultimately, yes, Tyrone Mings wasn't always a brilliant defender, but he was obviously someone that they were going to need over the course of the the campaign. Did he really need to be so public about his dressing down and removing the captain's armband in in the manner that he did it? No, I don't think he did. Um, And I think a lot of um, managing of today's players is concerned. Everyone listening to this will know that relationships with players are key in today's generation. I've spoken to players that aren't even sort of from way back when, you know, players that haven't long retired who want to go into management, who talk about the game having changed now, the management of players having changed because players are far more empowered now. And it's a a bit of a minefield if you get it wrong, um, then it can really blow up in your face. And it looks to be the case that that's happened um, at Aston Villa. When I look at the team perform, it doesn't look as though the team are not performing for Gerard, And the one thing I would say is that if you look at Arsenal this time last year, all of the same things were being said about Mikel Arteta and they stuck by him and he turned it round. And so although the numbers don't look great for Gerard right now, and although I do think maybe he may look at the way he handled that Ming situation and think perhaps I was a little bit too heavy handed, he needs time. You cannot change the problems at Aston Villa in a short space of time. He needs time, he needs windows, he needs backing, and he needs a clear way through this. And I think if he gets that, we might see a better Villa um, sooner rather than later. I I gave Crook all sorts of uh, stick when he was having a go at Steven Gerrard three or four months ago. I was telling him to to, to lay off him because I felt as if he was just picking on him. But ultimately, he has been backed in the transfer market. He has been given pretty much everything he's wanted since he walked in the door because Christian Herslow bought him in from Rangers, decided to sack a a club hero in Dean Smith uh, because Gerrard became available. Um, But... Darren says the players are still playing for him. The running stats suggest that they aren't really. I mean, they're dreadful. This is a team that runs less than anybody else in the Premier League group. Yeah, I'll accept your apology um, first and foremost. It's not an apology. Uh, it's just I, I, I said maybe I, 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 I might be wrong. <laughs> not apologising to you. <laughs> it's a non-apology. Uh, but yeah, those stats are quite. It's definitely a not. Th- those apology. stats are quite damning. Uh, I think, and you look at Philippe uh, Coutinho, anonymous at Bournemouth on the opening day, uh, anonymous again today before picking up some kind of muscular injury. Didn't pick him away from home against Crystal Palace. I don't think that signing has worked out particularly well. And again, the alarm bells were there uh, when you look at his post-Liverpool career. I think Gerard was putting his faith in the fact he could get the the Anfield version of Coutinho. That hasn't happened. Um, I think they're disjointed in those attacking areas. I think they've got too many similar players. Wendia, Bailey, Coutinho. I think Ings and Watkins are struggling to form a partnership. So, yeah, are the players with him? I don't know for definite, but those running stats might suggest they're not. I think ultimately, though, it comes down to to a tactical issue with Steven Gerrard. 
Uh, West Ham are the next opponents for uh, Tottenham Hotspur. West Ham's next opponent to Tottenham Hotspur. Big London derby on Wednesday night. They'll be pleased to actually get off the mark in terms of goals and points. And David Moyes made a few changes to that starting lineup today. And then again, altered it at half time, Darren, which was important to the flow of the game. Yeah, it was. Um, and he's not a man to who is shy about making those decisions, but they ten, ended up with him taking all three points. They were overrun. I mean, I know you mentioned the running stats a second ago, but you know you can go with stats and then you can go with the evidence of your own eyes. And mine were telling me that Villa were bossing the game for long periods. And I really did think it was a matter of time before they would score and West Ham's misery would continue without a goal until they score today and without any points so far this season. But that change that you mentioned helped them to get back into it and helped them to escape to victory. And now that could kickstart their season and also provide a bit of optimism given that he wants to attract one or two more players, including we know they're going to get the Lucas, uh, the Paqueta deal done, but they, he wants to attract one or two more before the window closes on Thursday. Um, Wolves against Newcastle. Newcastle have already attracted someone extra. £60 million man Alexander Isaac, who was in the stands, work permit not uh, yet rubber stamped, so he couldn't play on Sunday. Probably a good job for Wolves because uh, Newcastle should have won the game, really, towards the end of it. Really good match. Absolutely brilliant encounter to watch. Neves' goal was fantastic from 35 yards. Alanson Maximans for... Uh, well, I better do the same right in the last minute of the match. It was absolutely terrific. Brilliant drama. And then Elliot Anderson hits the crossbar right at the very end. So there's a, every chance that Newcastle could have stolen all three points from that game. And I don't think actually on the balance of play, uh, you could have complained too much about that. It was just a really good encounter. Newcastle's next game is against Liverpool. It'll be a big test for them. Uh, but one, I think they'll relish uh, going to Anfield, especially in the current form that they're in, Crook. Uh, yes and no. Um, I, I think although you say they should have won the game, I think before the match they might have taken a point. No Bruno Gimaraes, no Callum Wilson, no Isak, as you said. Hopefully his work permit issue from their point of view will be resolved for midweek. So I don't think Liverpool are going to be facing the strongest possible Newcastle. And I think when you look at those absentees uh, for a team with as much money um, as their owners have, I still think the squad is a little bit light. Um, to, to talk about them as serious European contenders. So I think if Liverpool uh, can turn up and produce a performance similar to what they did against Bournemouth, I think they'll probably win this game. Do you think they're going to be relegated? Is that what you're saying? No, I don't, I'm not I'm not saying <laughs> they'll be one of those teams sucked into that relegation battle with Leicester uh, uh, and Everton. Uh, Alan, Alan St. Maximan's got a bit of a problem though, hasn't he? I mean, because he picked up a hamstring injury towards the end of that game and losing a player like him, that would be dreadful for them, Darren. I think losing uh, his place in the team for San Maximin might be dreadful because I think if Isak um, comes in and, and, and Wilson, I don't know if they're going to start with a two or not, but if they can get a configuration that allows them to go on a run without St. Maximin in the team, and bear in mind St. Maximin has quite the injury record. Is, is that unfair? Uh, no, I think he's, he's more robust than obviously more robust than Callum Wilson, who spent eight hundred six days on the sidelines since two thousand fifteen. So you know, but uh, yeah, I think he picks up the odd injury here and there. I think he's so explosive, isn't he? That sometimes that, that hamstring goes because he is he's so explosive when he runs into the channel. He's got that sort of quick 
jinky movement as well. So yeah, he's picked up a few injuries here and there, but I mean, he's a terrific player. And that, although that was his first goal, I think, oh, I, I, after 18 I, I don't appearances doubt. without scoring one. I don't doubt that he's a terrific player and he, it was a terrific goal. And I think he, he would grace any team uh, probably outside the top four or six. Um, he's a terrific player. Just think that he does pick up the odd injury here and there. And, you know, if they manage to configure a team that can go on a little bit of a run without him in it, then it might leave him having to fight to get his place back in the team now that uh, Isaac has arrived, now that Wilson's fit again, and now that the confidence is back in the side. Uh, Brighton beat Leeds by a goal to nil. Brighton fans have literally never been happier than this after setting a club record ninth consecutive top flight game without defeat. As a result, they're up to third in the division. Um, Graham Potter's done a, an absolutely terrific job. And one of the odd things that I heard on the phone in today uh, when we were doing it on the Sunday session was that Aston Villa fans were, were sort of talking a little bit about Graham Potter going from Brighton to Aston Villa. And I was thinking to myself, why is he going to do that? Uh, well, he's a Birmingham boy, isn't he? So I think that's the... Um, is that the link? That's probably the connection. That's probably the connection they've made. But yeah, you're right. I'd, I'd be surprised if he did that. I think he is a... a Football club that is perfect for him at this moment in time. One of the best run clubs in the Premier League. They've lost two big players this summer. One was planned for in Basuma. They already had Caicedo in the building to replace him. One wasn't really in, in Kukurea. That took them by surprise. They've already managed to bring in uh, Estepinan, who played really well by all accounts on Did. Saturday, I'm told from people at the game. Yep. And they deserve to win. Another goal for Pascal Gross, who's had an excellent start uh, to the season. Danny Welbeck. Uh, brilliant again leading the line yeah. and uh, there was a fleeting moment on Saturday when they went top of the table so all is very well um, down on the Sussex coast at this yes, moment yes there was and I got a little bit excited Darren actually on uh, Saturday having watched that game uh, in which I text Crook and said uh, in fact to a group of uh, football supporting friends and said Danny Welbeck is so blooming good that I think he possibly could sneak into the England squad for the World Cup. I was told to shut up, obviously. Uh, but I, I think he's I think he's been so good at holding the ball up. Like the way he he takes it into his body and then brings others into play. Technically he's excellent. His runs that he makes opens up space for other people. His awareness on the football field is absolutely terrific. And look, it was a gamble to bring him in the first place. It was a gamble to give him another contract. But I know we're in that vein of saying if he can stay fit, he will have a terrific season. But if he can stay fit, he will have a terrific season. <laughs> Lots of ifs in there. Um, I know, I know. Listen, he's 31 and I think we're all agreed and everyone listening to this that maybe his best years are behind him. But now that he's fit and he's getting a run of games, he really is showing that he does have that touch of class. And you're right, he ha he does hold up the belt ball exceptionally well. He did it in the early games of the season. He's helped them to their ninth, club record, ninth consecutive top flight game without a defeat. And, you know, you have to give him so much credit because... He's in a team where the sum of the parts come together superbly well. And a lot of people thought that maybe one or two of their early uh, successes were flukes, but they're proving that there's a real consistency about that this side. And him as a spearhead is just perfect uh, in terms of being a foil for other players to grab goals. 
And I mean, it's down to great coaching, isn't it? Let's be completely honest about it. Jesse Marsh actually didn't cover himself in glory when he threw the ball onto the, the floor in a rage and ended up getting yellow carded. But uh, he's quite a spicy character, Jesse Marsh. I think Leeds are... Uh, 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 do you know what? I'm not sure about Leeds. I think they're going to work incredibly hard. It's going to be very difficult with that young group to sustain that over the course of the season. But hey, we shall see. Their next game, uh, Leeds United, is on Tuesday night. They take on Everton, which was the best game of the COVID season. 2-1 at Ellen Road to Everton. A rip-roaring match. Always a good tussle when those two meet. That's Ellen Road, 8 o'clock on Tuesday night. Brighton's next opponents uh, are Fulham, away from home. Brighton have kept four clean sheets in a row now. The last time that these two met in the Premier League, Fulham and Brighton, it was nil-nil and nil-nil. Maybe that might be one to avoid come Tuesday (laughs) night. Uh, Brentford against Everton, our final game to look at. Brentford uh, with a game away at Crystal Palace and Everton looking forward to uh, a match-up at Ellen Road. Uh, Anthony Gordon scoring a really good goal, actually and uh, showing that his head is still perfectly in the game despite all the interest around him. But Brentford fought back to earn a draw. And let's be clear, they probably were the better team in the game. They hit the woodwork more often than a carpenter crook. Yeah, they had so many chances. Uh, I think in the end, Everton were probably relieved to return uh, with a point. Doesn't do much to improve their, their wretched away record. But credit to Anthony Gordon because we've seen actually Wesley Fofana taking himself out of the Leicester Uh, team because his head wasn't right. This is the way that professional footballers should conduct themselves. Anthony Gordon clearly wants to join Chelsea. I think everybody at Everton knows that, but that isn't going to stop him being committed to the cause uh, all the time that he is there. And I think for people like Fafana, he he is a a role model, really. Uh, Thomas Frank said afterwards that it was a mystery as to how they didn't win. And realistically, they squandered a lot of chances in the game as well as hitting uh, the woodwork, uh, but uh, they deserve their their point. How much business are Everton going to do over the course of the next few days? Because there's quite a lot of moving parts here, isn't there? Because if Gordon does move, they, they'll look to try and bring in one or two more or is Mope about as much as they're going to do? Well, I was told there was significant interest from Everton in, in Ben Brerus and Diaz. I, I think West Ham uh, might possibly join the conversation for him as well. Uh, obviously, we know they want a few players on loan from Chelsea, particularly if Gordon does depart. So I think Everton could be one of the more active clubs uh, in the final days of the window. Darren, you can concur with that? Yeah, I, I, I can. I think as far as Gordon is concerned, I think they will sell him. Uh, £60 million is far too much for them to turn down. They can't live in the romantic days of yesteryear. They're in financial crisis at the moment. And I, I think they need more experience in the final third. Otherwise, they too will be fighting a relegation battle in vain uh, because you do need to score goals as well as keep clean sheets if you're going to stay up. Um, Gordon needs to continue that next phase of his development at at a higher profile club and they need players in. I think it will be a very busy few days, uh, final few days of the window for Everton. Do you really believe that? Because I actually don't think it's a great move for him. I think actually... Well, that's a great move for Everton because I think 60 million quid for a guy who scored five goals in 75 first team games and he's still a teenager. I think that's a brilliant deal for Everton. I'm not necessarily sure it's a great deal for Anthony Gordon who's playing week in, week out in the Premier League. And I don't know, to call me a cynic, but having looked at the way Chelsea have used some of the uh, recruits that they've had over the course of the last 10 years, I don't know if we'll see the best of him at Chelsea or see that much of him at Chelsea. 
Well, I'll just say this. He wants to go. So, you know, whether I, I think it's a good move for him or not, he wants to go. So he yeah. backs himself to get into that team. Okay. Uh, Crookie, thank you very much. I know you're busy this week because you've got the uh, transfer deadline. You and Jim are doing a double shift, aren't you? Well, Jim's doing a double shift. You're only turning up for one of them. Is that right? <laughs> I think I'll be working from six o'clock in the morning until 1am. So I yeah, think I'll yeah, be doing yeah. more than a double Bet shift. Bet you're not up at six o'clock It'll be good. Yeah, 10 till 11. Jim and I uh, are on air for the- uh, you're doing the an final, hour? Uh, hour of the window. All right. Well done. One hour. Terrific. Um, uh, Darren I know you're going to be busy as well because you also are the assistant editor of a newspaper as well as all the other things that you do Um, but um, we will be back on Friday morning with a look at the transfer window because we're going to stay up late and do that Kwaku Afari uh, from uh, TalkSport is going to join me Angelina Kelly from the TalkSport Edge is going to be here as well and we're going to be providing you all the stats from the transfer window and having a look at the impact on all of the clubs that have done late business remember TalkSport is the place to be uh, for all your transfer needs over the course of the next uh, few days and the Game Day podcast is available every Thursday every Monday uh, as soon as it drops on the TalkSport app it's also on Spotify Apple and anywhere else you get your podcasts The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.